Hello, welcome to First Methodist Church. My name is Rick Inns, lead pastor here. So glad you're joining us uh, online for worship today. Uh, it Supposedly, it's, it's Sunday morning. We're recording this on Friday, but if it's Sunday morning, supposedly we're supposed to get a lot of snow. So we'll see if they're actually right or not. But hope you're staying warm uh, today as we uh, start worship. Uh, let me give you a couple of announcements. First, welcome to our guests, members alike that are worshiping with us today. If you are worshiping with us on Facebook, would you take a moment and comment below? Let us know that you're there. If you're watching on YouTube, I have no idea how you can comment on YouTube, so just watch and have fun. If you're on our website, there's a form below that you can uh, uh, register your attendance. Also would uh, remind you, if you're a member uh, on our website, is a giving tab that you can give uh, to our church and to our ministry. A couple of things, announcements for us today. Uh, this week is the beginning of Lent. And uh, on Tuesday, the day before Lent starts, Lent is the season before Easter, we're having come-and-go pancakes from 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, it's, you're going to drive up on our west side, and uh, they're going to hand you pancakes and some activities to do as well as you prepare for Lent. A great time. All the money donated will go to our children's ministry. And then on Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the first day of the season of Lent. And we're going to have a service that evening at 6.30. At both our uh, Amarillo and our Canyon campuses, we'll have a service. We'd love for you to come and join us. In our Canyon campus that morning, we're going to be imposing ashes as well from 7.30 to 9. You can come by the sanctuary for that. And then it is uh, Valentine's Day, and we are celebrating love. We're looking at love uh, in our sermon series. And we have a, a great website called Date Night 806. Com. It's a website for date night tips. If you're married and you need some tips, a great website uh, designed just for you. Uh, go check us out at date night 806. Well, as we uh, start worship today, let's, let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that we can come this day uh, through technology, and worship you together. That even though we are apart, we are all still together as the body of Christ in worship. We thank you that your spirit is with us, and we pray that you would guide us in our worship this day. Lord, uh, prepare our hearts for you. We thank you for the ways that you love us, and we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's chapter 5, verse 23 through 33. It's a little bit longer scripture, but hear now the word of God. Be wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, 
and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. This is indeed the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we're, we're finishing up our, our series uh, uh, on love. It's Greek to me, translating love for today. And, and today, it's, it's Valentine's Day. What an appropriate day to, uh, to end our series on love. And, and I don't know about you, but I love Valentine's Day. My, my wife and I, our first date was on Valentine's Day. And it was a great day. It was a special day. But I know many people who, who really don't like Valentine's Day. I've, I've talked to single people who, who really don't like Valentine's Day because they think of the pressure that they have, that they think they have to have a date or celebrate that day. And I even know married couples who aren't fans of the day either because it sometimes puts undue pressure on them as a couple. And if it's not just right, they think they've messed things up. But the way we do Valentine's Day in our, in our culture is, of course, it's all about romance. It, it's, it's flowers and chocolates and candlelight dinners. It's the Hallmark card, or even better, the Hallmark movie. Uh, and it, it's the fairy tale. It, it's all about love. Uh, but the way love is translated on Valentine's Day, as we've said and as we've seen throughout the series, it's vastly different from the way the Bible translates love in our lives. And, and, it, and when it comes to love and to Valentine's Day, I know that many people are scratching their heads saying, you know, it really is Greek to me. So as we're diving into this last sermon in this series today, I want us to step back from the, the topic of marriage, which is the focus of this sermon, and, and look at the topic of, of both married life and single life from truly a biblical perspective. Because the Bible, I believe, it has a, a holistic view on both married life and, and single life, and it, it affirms both. It affirms you if you're married, and it can affirm you if you're single as well. And, and first, if you're single, you need to hear this sermon uh, on marriage, whether you plan on getting married or not, uh, so that you have a better understanding of what marriage is and what it's pointing to. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks about marriage in Ephesians but he, he speaks about singleness as well. And in Paul's view, and even more importantly, in God's view, neither marriage nor singleness is, is better than the other. They both can be good. Each has its merits. Being single is good. Being married can be good. Uh, and some believe, like I do, that, that Christianity really was the first religion that, that elevated a single lifestyle uh, as a way of life. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians, was single. And they, you know, he's one of the biggest proponents of our faith. And oftentimes, though, I think single people feel guilty, maybe because of our culture, family pressures, or even their own pressure, that they have to be married. And that's not the case. It's neither good nor bad if you're single. And I think that's wrong thinking. And again, I think our culture, though, puts a lot of pressure on us and on a on single people to get married. Uh, but, but Christianity uh, doesn't put that pressure, or it shouldn't put that pressure on people. It understands that marriage is an important institution, but it doesn't see it as the pinnacle of life. Uh, we don't put our hope in marriage or singleness. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. Single Christians show that God, not family, is their final hope. 
that God is the one who watches over them ultimately, that their truest family is, is not blood, but, uh, but brothers and sisters in Christ. Even as the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about the institution of marriage, again, he's pointing to something even greater. He's always pointing to something better, that marriage reflects the love of God in Jesus Christ. Marriage is always pointing to something more. It isn't the ultimate part of our life, but be, it should be. It should be pointing us to Jesus. And, and that's what I want us to remember as we look at this text. Now, that's a vastly different idea of love and marriage that we get on days like Valentine's Day, isn't it? What Paul says about marriage really doesn't look like Valentine's Day. So I'm going to read our scripture again from Ephesians uh, just to kind of get it in your mind. Uh, and, and I want you to, to, as I read, to think through what, what feelings come to your mind as, as I read this text. How do you react to these words from, from Paul? Hear again these words. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Wow. Let's just be honest for a second. Uh, how many of you women out there really don't like this text? Are you brave enough to admit it? Are there any men out there too? I, I know some men who, who struggle with this text as well. And because these, these verses from Paul, they, they really don't match up with our modern idea of what love is. And, and I think that the reason most people struggle with this is because they haven't really dug into the context of this verse. And, and they don't see the bigger picture that Paul is trying to give us as he's talking about marriage. Also, you know, in our culture, there is and has been a decline in marriage. Seventy-two uh, percent of Americans were married in 1960. Today, only about half of U.S. adults are married. So we we even see the institution of marriage declining over the decades. And today, more than half the people live together before they get married as well. Uh, those that do, you know, I, I hear this thinking. They're thinking, you know, we want to make sure we're compatible. We, they want to make sure they're going to get along with each other before they uh, get married. Uh, the problem with this view is that data doesn't back this up. Uh, people who live together before marriage have a higher divorce rate than those who don't. And, and here's the thing, because the moment you get married, both of you uh, begin to change. And and. And when we see this problem in society when it comes to marriage, this idea of finding the right person, this idea that we're compatible or we have a soulmate. But let me let you in on a secret. When it comes to marriage, 
none of us are compatible. When it comes to marriage, none of us are compatible. Now, there are certainly some that are less compatible than others, but all of us, when it comes to marriage, we're we're marrying a stranger because, again, as I said, when we get married, we begin to change. Uh, As I said last week, you know, marriage reveals our weaknesses, uh, and there is no such thing as a soulmate. And you never know when you get married what changes are going to be revealed. You don't know ahead of time how you're going to change. And some hopefully change for the better, others for the worse. But there are season in, seasons in marriage when, when you're looking at your spouse and, and you realize they're not the same person I married. And they might be looking at you and saying the same thing, that you're not the same person uh, that you are that when y'all got married. And you find yourself sometimes married to a stranger. But marriage takes an incredible amount of work for you to become compatible, for the two really to become one. But as we've been defining love over this series, we have seen how how love is a choice, how love is action, that love is proactive. It's doing loving things whether we feel like it or not. And that truly is love. And as we look at this text that Paul has given us on marriage, we have to understand its deeper context. Marriage done correctly starts with the Spirit of God moving in your life. I want you to hear that again. Marriage done correctly, it starts with the Spirit of God moving in your life. Only if you're seeking in your life to be filled with God's grace and follow God's will, will this idea of marriage truly work. And remember in the first series, if you watch this first sermon in this series, We talked about how we have to submit our passions to God's design. We have to submit our passions to God's design. So here in Ephesians, we have this submitting of our idea of love to God's idea of love. And and Paul starts, when he starts, he starts with this incredibly controversial statement as he gives us this design for marriage. He says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. And and please don't tune me out at this point, but but hang in there because immediately after he gives this text to to wives, he begins to speak to, to husbands. And in my opinion, it's even a more radical statement than the first one because he tells husbands, he says, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle of anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. And so we see uh, Paul addressing wives and Paul addressing husbands. And husbands are called to love their wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Both are submitting themselves to each other, but in a slightly different shape. They aren't identical. But whether you're the husband or the wife, The calling is to live for the other first. And that's important. Whether you're the husband or the wife, the calling is for you to live for the other first. To look out for your spouse. 
first. Uh, our self-interest are subordinate to those of our spouses. Again, this only works when we're submitting our life to Christ. Amen? And allowing the Spirit of God to guide us as well. And this is the calling that we have for our spouse, to live for the other, to serve the other. The problem we all have with this calling, though, is our own selves, our own selfishness, our own desires that sometimes get in the way of what's best. Our self-centeredness so often gets in the way when it comes to marriage. Every marriage, though, suffers from self-centeredness because we all get that way. And we have to be diligent, though, in, in treating or it, or it will become like a cancer that destroys our marriage. And so that's important for us as we look at Paul's design for marriage. Now, and again, the, the husband is called to be the head of the wife. Now, many of you bristle with the thought of that passage, and, and I get it. And I bet you know, I know why you don't like it, because you haven't seen it done correctly. You've probably never seen it defined correctly either. Because here's the thing, every culture in history has had a problem with treating women and wives especially as, as second class, as less than. And we have too many examples of the wrong idea of headship. Uh, you might even have them in your own family. And, but headship done rightly, it's a beautiful example of love. And again, it's pointing to Christ. And we have to remember, again, as Paul is giving us this definition of marriage, he is ultimately sharing with us the great mystery of Jesus' love for us and God's love for us and how that uh, works together. Uh, marriage should reflect the love of God for us, and that truly is a mystery. And so I want us to turn to another of Paul's texts in Philippians uh, to kind of get a, a further example of this, this is Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 5 through 11. And this is actually one of a, an ancient hymn of the church. But as I read this text, reflect on, uh, as he's talking about Jesus and the Trinity, uh, reflect on how this is reflected in marriage. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Such a powerful passage. This is good stuff here. And do you see it? Do you see what, what's happening here? This is where the idea of Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, informs us in this, in this holy mystery of God's love and, and the holy mystery of, of marriage as well. And, and I want to uh, quote Timothy Keller uh, for a moment in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says this, when he's talking about this text from Philippians, this passage is one of the primary places that the dance of the Trinity becomes visible. The son defers to his father, taking the subordinate role. The father accepts the gift, but then exalts the son to the highest place. Each, each wishes to please the other. Each wishes to exalt the other. Love and honor are given, accepted, and given again. 
This is the same pattern that we see in marriage. That uh, wives submit, but then husbands accept that gift of submission and then exalt them and love them as Christ loved the church so that they receive honor and glory as well. We see this in, in Christ and we see here in Paul's text in Ephesians that that image of marriage is showing us how God loves us and how Jesus loves us. And where we have seen our passage misinterpreted in Ephesians is when headship is used as, as a weapon or is, and, and submission is used as a way to make someone less than. And that's not what it's talking about. We've also seen it misinterpreted when we try to place cultural roles on top of these ideas as well. And, and hear this, I think this is important because this passage is not talking about the idea that the man is the one who goes out and works and the woman is the one who stays home and, and takes care of kids and cleans the house. That is not what this text is talking about. It is not talking about cultural roles. Uh, these, aren't, uh, these are separate from the text that Paul says here. This passage says nothing about how this is worked out in a marriage. Now, this is important that we work it out in a marriage, but this text isn't talking about how we work, how we take care of kids. Those are important things to discuss, but this passage is showing us how marriage works, how two become one. Remember, each of these roles as a husband and a wife submit to each other out of love. What headship does mean is that in those rare instances where the two of you disagree, ultimately the husband is responsible for making that final decision. But that's only, only, only after submitting uh, that disagreement to God and coming together and you've decided that the best course of action is what's best for your spouse and for your family. And that's the decision you make. I think headship also ultimately means that as uh, the, the man is ultimately responsible for help leading the family in faith in Christ. That's what headship means as well. Now, both parents, uh, husband and wife, they have that role, but the, the husband leads in that as well. Now, I want to go back to a, a key element of this passage from Ephesians that I touched on before. Without the Spirit of God guiding you, without your submission of your will to Jesus, this, this is going to be almost impossible. It's going to be tough. We put our spouse's needs above our needs, but we can't make our spouses our Savior. That's not what we're talking about either. Again, I want to quote Keller. He says, if if your only source of love and meaning is your spouse, then anytime he or she fails you, it will not just cause grief, but a psychological cataclysm. When we realize that in Jesus all of our needs are met and being met, then our spouse doesn't have to be our Savior. Only Jesus is our Savior. And we have to have that grounding in order to do marriage correctly. So now you might be thinking, okay, I have a, a, a firm foundation in Jesus. I submit to his love and grace and I have to put my spouse first. So what do I get out of all of this? That's a good question. Do you know what you get when, when this works this way? You get happiness. You, you get joy. The byproduct of doing love correctly in God's design is a deep sense of happiness and joy. That's what you receive uh, when we do love this way. This is the part of the mystery of God's love for us and the mystery of marriage. You discover your own happiness when each of you has put 
the happiness of the other ahead of yourself. This is the discipline and the choice of love. This is the, the struggle, the, 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 the secret sauce of marriage, if you will. This is the action that has to take place. This is key. So as we finish up today, I, I just want to remind you of the incredible gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. This is how we know love, and this is how we are loved. In fact, a great text, 1 John 4, 19. We love because He first loved us. That's key, I think, as we do life together, marriage, single, otherwise. We love because He first loved us. So as you go about your week, I would encourage you, uh, if you're married, to, to truly try to live out this uh, chapter in Ephesians. Maybe go back and reread it over the week and see how it applies to you. See where you're falling short or see where you need to, to, to kind of step up and love the way God has called you to love. If you're single, it's the same thing. Uh, put your trust and your faith in Christ, not in some boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, and as you do, I, I pray that God blesses you. Let's bow for a word of prayer as we close today. Heavenly Father, again, as we, we finish up, we are so grateful for the love that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, as we come to you, even in this moment, help us to experience that love that you've given us so that we can then love others in the same way. Lord, forgive us when we have failed you. Guide us in your truth. And if we need to start again, today's a great day to start over. And so help us, oh God, in this moment to, to turn back to you, to trust in you for all things, and to know that your love is deeper and more powerful than anything else. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, I pray you all have a great week. Uh, again, don't forget Lent uh, starts this week. We're starting a new sermon series next Sunday as we're going to be walking through uh, Jesus's last week on earth over this season of Lent as we prepare for Easter. But as you uh, go today, go in God's peace and in his love. Amen. <laughs>